0: The following message is from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about LifeSource is available at lifesource.org.au. Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you open to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I've started this series called God's Culture. Culture. I love culture. I love experiencing culture. I love experiencing the different aspects of culture. I just just love it for me it's it's always an experience when I travel to experience the different cultures and the different way that people do things and and it's just awesome so uh, I can still remember when I was a little kid I'd, I'd invite my Aussie friends to come to our home, to have spaghetti. And uh, one, one of the thrills for my family was to watch little kids in those days try to eat spaghetti because we're talking in the 60s, spaghetti wasn't as popular as it is now. And trying to twirl it on the fork. How many of you know that if you're brought up in Italian culture, you can twirl that thing on a fork and it just gets in a nice, tight little bundle and straight down the mouth she goes... But my friends, they'd twist and they'd get it and it'd go right down their arm. And, and that was part of the Yuliano entertainment, just to watch, you know, Aussie kids get the spaghetti all over their arm. And it was fun. That was, that was, uh, that was fun. But, you know, every culture is different. Every culture has got its own um, specialities. And so what I want to talk to you today is about God's culture. And God's culture is unique. And God's culture is very different. And Jesus, when he came, he actually came to introduce God's culture. And a lot of his teaching had to do with, hey, I've just come down from heaven. It's a whole different ballgame. And this is the way we do things in heaven. So, So what Jesus was teaching in a lot of his sermons in the Gospels was, this is the way we do things in heaven. I'd like for it to happen here on earth. I want what happens in heaven to happen here on earth. And so his teachings offended people because it wasn't their culture, it was God's culture. And it was so offensive to people. But but you know what? There's a whole bunch of people that said, I love that culture. Wow, that's the culture that I want. And they're the God lovers. They're the God people. And, And you know what? There are so many people in this world that are attracted to the God culture. And I would, I would classify you as those people because you're here. You're here because you're attracted to the God culture. And you're attracted to the things of God. You're attracted to the way God does things. We're not offended by the way God does things. But we love the way God does things. And so we love the teachings of Jesus and Jesus taught the God culture. So part six of the God culture is the pursuit of righteousness. So we're going to read um, probably the most central verse on kingdom culture in the Bible is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And, And last week I was preaching about making God's kingdom priority number one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What I want to do now is preach on the second part of that verse and his righteousness. So a lot of people focus on seek first the kingdom of God and they leave out and his righteousness. So this morning I'm going to do part 2 of last week's service and say let's focus on and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are the things? The things are the pursuit of what we need to survive in life. So so if you look at the context of this scripture the context is how people are pursuing things they're pursuing food they're pursuing clothes they're pursuing just a, a shelter they're pursuing a lot of things and 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 seriously in this world there is the pursuit of materialism especially in the west the pursuit of materialism is tantamount everybody's after a better way of living a better life and 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 you know what god does not want you to have a bad life. He wants for you to have a good life, but he also wants for you to prioritize. So it's not as if God said these things you won't have. He says, if you get the priorities right, the things will be added to you, but get the priorities right. So there's nothing wrong with having things as long as the things don't have you. That's the issue. It's when the things have you that it becomes the issue. But you having the things are not the issue. It's when the things have you. Because what we need to pursue is God and his righteousness. So, so let's look at what this means, the pursuit of righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I, I really believe that one of the, the desires of humanity is world peace. Whenever you hear anybody, what would you like? We'd like world peace. Well, can you imagine if we have a generation that rises up with their goal in life to be righteous, how quickly we would have world peace. So what do you want to do with your life? I want to be a righteous man. Really? That's your goal in life? Can you imagine if all of our young people, their goal in life was to be righteous, to do righteous things, to do no wrong, to go through life, that's their goal. I just want to be righteous. Wherever I go, I want righteousness to prevail. I want all of my actions to be righteous actions. I want my thoughts to be righteous thoughts. I want my behavior to be righteous behavior. How many of you know that before you know it, we'd have world peace if everybody thought that way? And so this is the message of Jesus saying, come on, pursue righteousness. Pursue." But he clarifies it. So he clarifies this not as just righteousness. He says, pursue his righteousness. So this morning, let me talk to you about three types of righteousness. First of all, there's the world's righteousness. The righteousness that this world presents. And so the world, I'm talking about the philosophy of this age. I'm talking about the philosophy that's presented to you by the media. And the media is a spirit. And it's the spirit of this age. And basically, the media and the spirit of this age presents a world's righteousness. the world's righteousness is very simple. Protect the planet and protect people. Basically, it's it's, it's a religion. You've got to protect the planet. Protect the planet. Now, I've got no issues with protecting the planet. God created the planet. He put Adam and Eve in there and said... Tend it, look after it. He, he told Noah, I'm going I'm to be destroying the world but save the animals. And so he did that. But for some people that don't have Christianity, protecting the planet becomes their religion. How many of you heard about this dentist that shot the lion in Africa? Ah, Cecil the lion. Not just a lion, but he shot Cecil. And so what we have is world. Uproar over this lion. What's fascinating is that when you if you talk to anyone from Zimbabwe, they go, What lion? They go, What 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 a lion called Cecil? We've never heard of a lion called Cecil. Now you're saying, John, aren't you angry about the fact that he shot a lion? Yeah, I want to protect the animals. Absolutely. But in my priority list of things that upset me, it's not number one. Let me put it right out there. It's not number one. What upsets you? How about 1.5 billion babies aborted over the last 30 years? Um, does that rate higher than a lion? In my priority list, you better believe it does. What about children that are starving of hunger on a daily basis? How high does that Right up there. But we're talking about protect the planet. It's a religion. okay? It's the world's righteousness. So if you're going to touch a religious thing, then of course you're gonna get manifestation. The other thing that that uh, you know the world's righteousness is about is everybody has a right to believe what they believe. So you've got to respect people's beliefs. This is postmodernism right there. Respect people's beliefs. And so if you respect everybody's belief, you're a righteous person. That's it. That's the definition. So you know so if if you know they believe That they were born a puppy. And they want to go through life believing that their puppy's worth. That's what they believe. I respect their belief. Okay, don't you think there's something a little bit crazy about that? I wouldn't dare say they're a bit crazy because that would be disrespecting their beliefs. And my religion says you've got to respect everybody's belief. Okay, that's called the world's righteousness. Then you have self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is where I believe that most of the religions of the world have this as their major tenet of faith. And so so basically self-righteousness is about doing the right thing by everybody so that you present yourself as a righteous person. And so the whole concept is, That at the end of days, you will be weighed in the balance. And if you've done more good things than bad things, you'll be right, Jack. And so it's all based on good works. And so most of the religions of the world teach that self-righteousness is the major tenet of faith. And so if you walk to anyone on the street, they'll talk to you about how self-righteous they are. And the way that they talk about this self-righteousness is they compare themselves with unrighteous people. And so how many of you heard that? I've never killed anybody? I'm better than killers. I've never raped anybody. I'm better than rapists. I don't steal anything. I'm better than thieves. So it's comparison, self-righteousness. And then they add to comparison self-justification. I I, I believe in God. You know, I, I love God, but how come we don't see you in church? How come how come we don't see you worshiping? Oh, well, you know, I've got my own beliefs. And it's very private. How many of you heard that? My beliefs are very private. Guess what? Jesus actually spoke a parable to you people. You say, what? Yeah, let me show you. Let me, t- let me show you the parable that Jesus spoke to the self-righteous people. It's found in Luke 18. Turn to Luke 18 because Jesus actually spoke to those people. You can give this tape to your friends or MP3 to your friends verse 9 this is what it says he says he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous that's what he says and despised others and so two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee the religion of the self-righteous was Pharisaicalism and the other a tax collector now the tax collectors in those days were the worst of the worst so if you you would never go to a party and someone says, what do you do for a living? And you say, I'm a tax collector. Because at that moment, you would be ostracized because the tax collectors were considered the worst of the worst. They were the, they were the worst sinners. Why were that? Because they would work for the Romans to to pillage and plunder the Jewish people, and and they would take a cut out of what they would give for the Romans. And so out of self-interest, they would literally push as hard as they could to get as much for the Romans they could get as much for themselves. And they were hated. Tax collectors were hated. And so Jesus says these two men went up to pray, one a Pharisee, self-righteous religious person, the other tax collector, the worst of the worst. So the Pharisee, the self-righteous religious person stood up and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Hello, there it is, comparison. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Talk about comparison and then self-justification. Here it is. I fast twice a week. Woohoo. I give tithes to all I possess. I'm right, God. Woo. Then the tax collector gets up and he says, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, God's not looking for self righteousness, He's looking for humility. He's looking for acknowledgement that we can't do anything to save ourselves. That humility is the beginning of repentance. I'm telling you, without humility, you can't get saved. Humility is the starting point of salvation. Because without humility, you're going to depend on on yourself. You're going to be dependent upon self-righteousness. And Jesus didn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and self-righteousness. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that brings me to the third righteousness. And the third righteousness is God's righteousness. And there's a theological term connected to God's righteousness. It's called imputation. Imputation means that it's actually given to you. And this is the beautiful thing about God's righteousness, is that if you humble yourself and ask for it, it is given to you, free. No cost to you, but big cost to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus died upon the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He became sin that you might become righteous. Let's read that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For he... For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. So so this is Jesus who knew no sin. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I, I, I don't know if you can get this, but this is what I call the great exchange. The great exchange was that Jesus took on our sins and then exchanged our sins with his righteousness. What a deal. Here it is. This is the offer. If you give me your sins, I will give you my righteousness. How many of you, how many of you think that's the deal of the universe? Because that's what this is all about. And so when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he looked at him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the, the Jewish people understood the Lamb of God because they understood that the Lamb had to be sacrificed. The Lamb had to shed the blood to take away the sins of humanity. So the Jews understood this, that a Lamb was coming that would take away not the sins of a generation, not the sins for one year, but the sins of all generations generations, for all time, the Lamb of God. And for us as Christians, we understand that the Lamb that was Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, that we might be righteous. And that's what it means to accept his righteousness. Now, this is really interesting, especially for all of my Asian friends. How many Asian friends do we have here? Look at that. Ah, I love... How many Chinese Asians do we have here? All the Chinese. Stand up, all the Chinese. I want to see all the Chinese in our church. Come on. I want to see all my Chinese friends. I love that. Look at that. Come on, let's give all of our Chinese friends a great big applause. I love that. Do you know that you Chinese are incredibly blessed because your Chinese alphabet, your Chinese characters actually have the gospel locked in there It's locked in there. So how many of you know what that word is in in Chinese? Who can tell me what that word is? Righteousness. Righteousness. That word is, see, in righteousness, in, in Chinese character. But this is what I want you to notice, that that word righteousness is actually two words. There's a top word and a bottom word. And so can you see the top word? That means lamb. And the bottom word means me. And so his righteousness in Chinese, lamb over me, makes me righteous. I get goosebumps He's talking about that. huh? There's the gospel, lamb over me, Jesus, the lamb over me, the blood of Jesus that was shed on, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Come on, you want to be righteous? It's not found in self. It's found in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not self that makes you righteous, but Jesus, the Son of God, the pure Lamb of God. And that's what it means to seek his righteousness. Let me talk to you a little bit more about the imputation, this giving of righteousness, in another parable. Parable found in Matthew 22. I love this parable in Matthew 22. Last week, we, we read about the parable of the mega feast, the great feast. Today, we'll do the parable of the wedding feast, from mega feast to wedding feast. And so this is what it says in Matthew 22. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Oh, wow. What is this? What is this talking about? Obviously, for those of us that have got the secret code, how many of you got the secret code to understand parables? The secret code, let me tell you what the secret code is. Obviously, the king is Father God. Obviously, the marriage is the union of the church And Jesus, who's the son, together to live forever, forever and ever, that's the marriage supper of the Lamb, the book of Revelation. So so Jesus is giving a story about this amazing wedding feast, this amazing end time feast, this amazing introduction to eternity. The wedding supper of the Lamb, the book of Revelation calls it. I love that. I love the fact that when we get to heaven, it's going to start off with a huge party. It's the wedding feast of the bride of Christ and Jesus. How many of you are going to that wedding feast? How many of you are sure that you're going to that feast? How many of you already signed up? You've got the wedding invitation. You've sent the RSVP. You're going. I tell you, I've got the feast happening. Man, I've got it in my diary. Everything else is going. When that trumpet sounds, <laughs> you know what? You can have my house, you can have my car, you can have my motorbike. It's going. I'm going. I'm leaving. Whoever wants it can have it. But if, you, if you're going to get it, the only problem is that's all you get. I'm getting eternity, and that's a lot more valuable than the house and the car and whatever. You know what I'm saying? So um, anyway, so what happens is this. Let me move on. It says, um, uh, his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Can you believe this? That there were certain people that got the king's invitation to the wedding and they didn't want to come. You know why they didn't want to come? Let me tell you why they didn't want to come, because they didn't value it. That's why they didn't want to come. They valued something else. Let me ask you a question what do you value more than God and his kingdom? What is it that you value more? Because obviously you don't have the revelation of this if you value that more. Because can I just say to you that that is only temporary, this is eternal. And until you get the revelation of this being eternal, you're not going to lift its value up to where it needs to be. Okay, you got that? Again, so he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf and killed and uh, are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. You say, well, what is this talking about? This is talking about the fact that the gospel was first sent to the chosen people which were the Jewish people. They were the chosen ones. The people that Jesus was talking to were the chosen ones. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish people were the chosen ones. And for centuries, they were given the invitation. And what they would do is that they would kill the prophets. They killed John the Baptist. They killed all the prophets. They were about to kill the greatest, Jesus, about to crucify him. And and the Bible says that judgment was going to come to them. And it goes on and it says, But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Again, what is this talking about? This is, this, is, this is awesome because what this is talking about is that the chosen ones that rejected the message actually opened way for us Gentiles to get invited. We were the bad and the good. The Italians, the Chinese, the Filipinos, the Aussies. Oi, oi, oi. The Indonesians. I, I look around and I see all the different nationalities. The Aboriginals, I love that. I love that. The South Americans. I was expecting a much louder applause. Let me try it again. The South Americans. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing is this, that is that their rejection of Jesus opened the door for us Gentiles. And you know what? The fact is that the Jews are still invited. It's not that the door was closed for them. It's whoever, whoever wants to come can come, and then and then this is the beautiful thing: is that the king supplied everything. He supplied the feast. He supplied the food. He supplied the sun. He supplied the house. Let me tell you what else he supplied. He actually supplied. The wedding garments, that was one of the gifts. How many of you know that when you go to a wedding today, you often receive a gift? In those days, they received a wedding garment as part of the deal. And so every guest actually had a wedding garment to wear. And it was a very unique and special. Now, the richer you were, the higher caliber the garment was. Now, in this case, we're talking king. We're talking high caliber Wedding garments that were given to you, and it signified your humility to receive the king's invitation, the king's hospitality. The king wanted you to wear the wedding garment, and of course, you wear the wedding garment. So, the king is going around, you know, just the connection hey, how you doing? It's great to see you here, Serge. Man, it's just great to see you here, especially. Didn't think you were going to make it, but you made it, priest. <laughs> yes. Just the joy. And then then this is what it says. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man in there who did not have on a wedding garment. (laughs) How many of you know that's insulting? That's insulting the king's hospitality. That's actually insulting to the king. And so he said to him, friend, how did you come in here? without a wedding garment, he was speechless, didn't have an answer. You say, well, what? what what's all this about? I'm so glad you asked. This is, this is someone saying, I can go to the wedding with my own stuff. My stuff is cool. Man, look. Dressed in black. Look at the shoes, man. It just You can see your face in them. Man, that's just awesome. Trusting in their own self-righteousness. Whereas the king said, no, I've got my robe of righteousness to put on you. And what we have here is pride versus humility. Everybody else humble enough, yes, Lord, I, what I'm wearing are filthy rags. I'll take them off and I'll put on your robe of righteousness. What this man says, I don't like your robe of righteousness. I like my self-righteousness. And do you know what the result was for this guy? Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Come on. Are you one of the chosen that said, yes, Lord, give me the robe. I want the robe. I want the robe. I don't want to do it in my strength. It's not my righteousness that gets me to heaven. It's not my good works. It's not what I do, 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 do. It's what you've done, 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 done. That's what it is. And you know what? This, 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 this motif, this illustration of robes start in the books, starts in the book of Genesis. He said, where does it start in the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 3. How many of you remember what happened to Adam and Eve the moment that they sinned, the moment they discovered that they were unrighteous? What was the first thing they did? They tried to cover up. Their unrighteousness. And what did they do? They made their own fig leaves. They made, they tried to cover up their sin. They tried to cover up what they saw was unrighteous. And so they made their garment of fig leaves. It was them attempting to become righteous when they were unrighteous. Do you know what God does? He says, the fig leaves won't do And so he made for them a garment of skin. In order to make the garment of skin, an animal had to be sacrificed. There was a blood sacrifice. An animal had to die. The blood had to be shed. And God says, no, nah, your fig leaves are inappropriate for a covering. Here is an appropriate covering. And God exchanged the fig leaves for the skin covering. We go to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, we see that what God calls our good works, he calls them filthy rags. He says, all your good works in Isaiah 64 verse 6 are like filthy rags. Come on, you've got to get hold of this because this is the difference between Christianity and all of the other world's religions. All of the other world's religions talk about you've got to be good. You've got to be good. You've got to be good. It's what you do. You'll be weighed in the balance. It's karma. It's this. It's the other. It's about good, 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 good. What the Bible says, your good works are like filthy rags. But then God says, give me your filthy rags and I'll give you the robe of righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10, there's the robe of righteousness. I love that. Give me your filthy rags and I'll give you the robe of righteousness. We get into Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. One of my my favorite parables. Who loves the parable of the prodigal son? So he comes into the father's presence. He's wearing clothes straight out of the pig pen, straight out of the pig pen. He goes to the father's house and he's wearing stenchy, filthy, dirty rags of clothes. And what's the first thing the father says? says, get the best robe and put it on him. And so there's an exchange from pig pen clothes to the best robe. An exchange from fig leaves to skin coverings, from filthy rags to robe of righteousness. And when we come into the book of Revelation, what the Bible talks about is filthy garments. And there's an exchange from defiled garments to a robe of righteousness. Of white, I love that, the white robe. And I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, most of the pictures that you'll see is that we'll be dressed with this white robe. You know, I'm I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of color in heaven. The white robe signifies the robe of righteousness. That's what it's all about. It's the fact that when we get to heaven, we'll be clothed with God's righteousness. Why is that? Because we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Before I finish today, there's two more things that I want to talk to you about. And that is the two extras that come with the robe of righteousness. There's two extras that come. First is the Holy Spirit. That's the first extra. I I know that it's almost disparaging to call him an extra. But it's the extraordinary factor that I think we've got to just understand. That there's the imputation of righteousness, which is positional righteousness. So I want you to just focus on this for a little while because I'm doing a bit of theological stuff into your spirit today. So that we counteract a lot of the false teaching that's out there. And positional righteousness is the way that God sees you through Christ. So when you have the robe of righteousness, you are seen... Like Jesus. Basically, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are not sinners, you are righteous people. How many of you think that's awesome? That's called positional. Positional. And it's like you've never sinned. You're totally justified. It's like you've never ever done anything wrong. Matter of fact, your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Everything that you've ever done wrong, when you come to Jesus, it's all forgiven, it's all wiped out. How many of you think that's good news? You'll never, ever be confronted ever with any of your sins that have been truly repented of, truly asked forgiveness, wiped out. That's called positional righteousness. Now, some people, what they do is that they camp there and they say, "Woohoo, that is awesome. Wah-ha! I'll camp there. Then you need to add to positional righteousness, practical righteousness. And practical righteousness is your walk of righteousness. And this is what this message is all about. It's pursuing righteousness. You get it, but when you get it, then you've got to keep it. And the way you keep it is through the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. What is the word that describes the Spirit of God? Holy. Sometimes we forget that holy is the descriptor to Spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit and holiness is righteousness. Holiness is is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Keeps you on track. And so in Galatians 5:16 it says, "Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." So how many of you know that it is possible as a Christian to fall into the lusts of the flesh? Well, yeah, but I'm positionally righteous. Yeah, but you've just defiled your garments by walking in the lust of the flesh. Oh, no, but I'm under grace. Hey, you're using it as a license. You say, why? Absolutely, come on. You're either pursuing righteousness or you're pursuing unrighteousness and you just want God to forgive you all the time. But can I just say to you that if you are meaning to walk in unrighteousness, then you're not being forgiven because forgiveness is based on true repentance. And true repentance says, man, I don't want to do this ever again, ever, ever, ever. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not just looking for a get out of jail free card. I'm looking for a nature change. And that's what God does when he sends the Holy Spirit. He changes your nature, He changes so that you love righteousness as opposed to loving unrighteousness. Now you love righteousness. The second extra that God gives you is, I love this, the righteousness filter. So that everything goes through the righteousness filter. Paul calls this the renewed mind in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not transformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're talking about a renewed mind, a mind that has a righteousness filter on it so that everything that comes in is filtered through righteousness. Paul talks about it in Philippians 2 verse 5 as the mind of Christ. Again, it's this righteousness filter so that everything that comes in causes us to say, Yeah, is it righteous or unrighteous? The way that he talks about it in Philippians 4, 8 is whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good repute, whatever things are virtuous, whatever things are praiseworthy, think, meditate on these things. Don't let anything get through the righteousness filter that's not true or noble or just or pure or lovely or a good report or virtuous or praiseworthy. Come on. The righteousness filter and the Holy Spirit are two gifts that God gives us with the robe of righteousness to help us to pursue righteousness so that we might have the God culture. Let me finish this morning as Amelia comes up. I've got a friend of mine, Rocco, Rocco Candido, who's Italian, as I am Italian, and uh, we joke around and say Italian stories. And, he, and he, he told me the story about some friends of his, That went to Italy for a holiday. And so the father says to the kids, we're going to catch a taxi, but whatever you do, don't say a word because if the taxi driver works out that you're not from Italy, he's going to rip us off. So I'll do all the talking. So the kids, shh, didn't say a word. So he gets in the taxi and he tells the taxi driver, you know, where they want to go. And the taxi driver turns to him and says, so what part of the world are you from? As soon as he opened his mouth he betrayed that he wasn't italian well he was italian as far as he's concerned but having lived in australia for so long he'd actually become australian and his whole way of speaking was different his whole attitude the way he dressed everything about him betrayed that he was from another country So here's the question for you. What is it about you that tells people that you're a citizen from another place? What is it about you that betrays God to people? That actually says, you know what? I'm a kingdom person. I'm not of this world. What is it about you? You say, well, does that mean that I'm going to stand on a street corner and preach? No, that guy in the taxi didn't have to say as soon as he opened his mouth. As soon as he opened his mouth, they're able to work out there's something about you that says you're not from here. And you know, that's the sort of nature that God wants us to have as Christians, that we don't even have to say, John 3.16, as soon as we open our mouths, something about us betrays that we're God people. There's something about us. There's, there's a different attitude. We, we just don't laugh at dirty jokes. What? No, no, God people, we don't laugh at dirty jokes, let alone tell dirty jokes. We're not into sexual innuendo. What's What's that about? That's unrighteousness. That's not us. We don't even respond to that sort of stuff, let alone laugh at it. Why is that? Because we're just from a different culture. That sort of stuff is offensive to us. But when something is righteous, when something is good, when when there's an opportunity to do good, to help out, to open a door for somebody, to help somebody, we're there. We're, We're ready. We're ready to serve. We're ready to help others. We're ready to demonstrate kingdom culture. That's what it's all about, folks. It's not about having a theology. It's about having a behavior, a nature that's changed. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do you get it? We have this imputed, positional righteousness, and then this practical, let's walk every day in practical righteousness. Marry the two together, and that's where you have this amazing balance that says you are kingdom people with kingdom culture, and you are so different. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.